Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed our time in the book of Ecclesiastes. And um, we're going to be continuing our time there in chapter 5. So if you have a pew Bible, please turn to Ecclesiastes 5. The um, page number there would be uh, 661. And the red pew Bible, 661. This is a scripture this morning. One through seven. This is the word of the Lord. Guard your steps when you go to the house. I want to have a slightly different translation. Sorry. Let me read from the Red Pew Bible so we all are reading the same thing. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming in many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Jesus, I pray that you would um, continue our time of worship with open hearts this morning. Lord, help us to receive your word this morning and not just um, hear it, Lord, or be distracted now, Lord. May your Holy Spirit speak from these texts to our hearts. Help me to be your, uh, your mouthpiece, that my words may reflect your heart and your words. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, anybody been to uh, Christiana Mall recently? It's a lovely place, right? Um, my wife hates the mall. Ask her how much she loves the mall, and it's funny. Right? She just she despises it. Um, when you walk in there, you're just bombarded by dozens and dozens and dozens of stores across long, wide hallways with high ceilings with signs and advertisements, flashing lights, even cool vendors all in the middle of the hallway, all presenting you with an opportunity to spend your money and to buy something. Uh, recently, I took one of my kids to the Lego store at Christiana, one of my kids' favorites. Um, he purchased what he wanted with the money he had, and we left, right? Um, that day, my son was a consumer, right? America is built off of it. To be a consumer is built off of, you know, walking into the, the Lego store and having that Lego experience, the bliss of seeing Legos everywhere. Buying one, getting your nice Lego bag, and coming home with your new Lego minifigures. I mention all of that because I, I, you know, I'm no you know, professional historian or something, but I do love church history. I like reading about the thousands of years of Christians all over the world who have worshipped Jesus and doesn't always look like how we do, right? They lived in very different times and different countries and different situations, and it's always fascinating to see what their life with Jesus looked like. 
But I've often wondered if, if you know, for those who have uh, been raised in the church here or have some church experience here, maybe this is one of your first church experiences, I, I often wonder if that consumer experience has really bled into how we quote unquote do church in America. And maybe ways that we haven't even intentionally done, right? We haven't intentionally done this, but because we're just so familiar with it, because we're Americans, it's what you do. You just go consume anything that there is to consume. And who's at the center of that consumer relationship? It's I, I, me, me, the famous Sam Walton from Walmart phrase, the customer's always right. It's all about me, right? Now, if you want to, you can be a part of a church in our country, kind of similar to this church, right? of how you go shopping at a Lego store. You could do it if you wanted to. You can jump in for the church experience on a Sunday, even pop in in a, mid, in a midweek meeting. You can go home and having enjoyed that church experience. You can create a rhythm each week of having that experience, but not truly seeking a transformed life in Jesus Christ. I've been thinking about this a lot in my own life. I was raised in the deep of the Bible Belt, all right, in Georgia. Um, and I've asked, been asking myself these questions. When I think of my own relationship with God, with his son, Jesus Christ, does it really reflect a consumer mindset? For example, when I pray, do I come to God with a need after need after need, asking him for help with all of my needs, like I would ask you know, an associate at a retail store when I'm trying to find the men's shoes or something, only to walk away after I get what I'm looking for? Do I think of my relationship with the church of Jesus as a consumer would? Somewhere to attend in order to have a spiritual experience and then go home. Church is somewhere I go, in other words, like me going to that Lego store, but I don't go home from the Lego store seeking for my life's rhythms and the attitudes of my heart to be reflective of that Lego store. I don't seek out the Lego wisdom, or the, I don't seek out the Lego employees that had them over for dinner to garner their Lego wisdom. And I don't volunteer to go follow around the most veteran Lego employee and try to become like them, right? That's not how that relationship would work. I don't seek for my life to be completely transformed by that Lego store. You guys tracking with that? It's difficult to see the impact, I think, of you know, it's like a fish in a fishbowl. If you ask them what is water, it's like, what water? It's really hard to understand the impact of the society and the culture that you live and how it influences us and how it shapes us. Especially, I think, how we view God. Because I believe if we return, do the best that we can to return to the basics of, of who God is, remind ourselves of who the scriptures say he is, I think that we can begin maybe seeing things with fresh, new eyes, with vitality. We could find ourselves living as Christians kind of upstream against this American culture. We could find ourselves thinking very differently about the church and what it is and our participation, our identity in it. And could find ourselves utterly transformed by Jesus Christ. And so as we walk through this passage today, Regardless of your own relationship to him this morning, um, if, it's, if you're new in the faith or just here as a skeptic or you've been walking with Christ your whole life, where once again, the, the author of this book is the teacher. We're sitting in his classroom, right? So he is inviting us back into his classroom again to, to give us the wisdom of the life that he lived as he sought for meaning and purpose in his own life. And he's been telling us about two different kinds of lives. Life under the sun 
and life with God. This one's interesting because um, my kids broke my glasses. They keep wanting to fall off. This is a record, though. I had these for a year. It's impressive, right? You guys impressed? Um, He gives us a vision of two lives, right? A life lived with God and a life under the sun, apart from God, which she calls meaningless, okay? But this one, interestingly enough, is like a little bit of a mix of the two. It's, like, it's if you're trying to pursue God with some of the, the values and the ways of thinking of just life under the sun apart from him, but you're kind of bringing some of that over to your pursuit of God. So it's a very interesting chapter in this book. So as we look at this today, we're going to look at what it means to approach God um, as a consumer or as an apprentice and why those two are very different. All right, you guys track them. Let's, let's dig into this. So approaching God as a consumer rather than an apprentice, rather, uh, rather than an apprentice. And also he's going to talk about how our actions in our life, what, you know, why they're not aligned with sometimes the, you know, the commitments we may vocalize to God. And so let's walk through this together. Um, the antidote, as he tells us in this passage for these two things, is having a high view of God. Having a a big view of God is revealed in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. For when we see God for who he truly is, that's when transformation occurs. That's when everything changes. So let's look at this um, as he talks about prayer and worship, beginning in verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. So this is temple worship in mind. This is the, the, the Hebrew scriptures. This is the Old Testament. This is when the temple was still standing in Jerusalem. So when he's talking about the house of God, he's thinking about all the different worship kind of ceremonies and things that took place at the temple. And the idea of guarding your steps all throughout the Psalms, it's like a Hebrew idiom, you know, steps is really referring to the kind of life you're living, not literally just one journey of taking steps. It's like whenever you go to the house of worship, whenever you go to God's place, think about your steps. Think about the life that you're bringing there, right? Um, So really verse one is kind of about how we worship God in a way, okay? And what does he say? He says, go near to listen, than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Go near to listen than to offer the sacrifice of fools. There's a very similar verse in Psalm 40, verse 6. Many um, uh, Bible nerds think that maybe the author of Ecclesiastes had this one in mind. He was familiar with this, right? It says in Psalm 40, verse 6, And sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. If you put that in literal translation, it would say, Ears you have dug out for me meaning that they were clogged before. They weren't open to God. And God had to redig them, open them back up. It's sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but ears you have dug out for me. So we have kind of the image, okay, of someone going to the temple to offer sacrifices. That was part of the ancient um, system of worship here in the law of Moses, bringing their sacrifices, perhaps busily talking to God, just going on and doing the right worship kind of activities and then just saying, all right, that was good, see ya, and leaving. That's kind of like a one-sided conversation. You ever had a conversation with somebody where for like an hour you're just kind of getting monologued to and you're like, ah, okay. And then they're like, okay, see ya. And they just walk away and you're like, 
was that a conversation or you like what just happened I, that was you just talking the whole time he just left um that's kind of like what we're kind of the image that he's kind of presenting here, right? If you go in the temple in the old times, there was priests who were available to teach the scriptures, priests who were available to, to minister to you. Um, the teaching of the law was common there, right? And so the image here is someone coming to the temple without engaging kind of any of those things. They were just engaging in their duty and the ritual of worship and saying, peace out, I'm done. I'm not really here to listen to anything, just here to do. So to return to the consumer relationship, when I go at that retail store, I don't go there to listen much, right? If I have a question, I'm pointed in the right direction, and that conversation's just over, right? I got what I was looking for. I'm not seeking out that employee for anything else, because in that consumer relationship, that relationship ultimately is about me. And that life under the sun he's been talking about, we've talked about how that's me, me, I, I, that kind of life. Right? You see how it's bleeding in here? Now, we don't treat God in that way, do we? We come to him asking for help in prayer. We, we, we come, we worship him. We, we seek out an experience at a church event. We get what we came for. We just walk away. So in verse uh, 40, verse 6, once again, he said that God doesn't delight in the sacrifices. He wants your open ear. He wants to speak to you. And maybe your ears need to be dug out, just like that psalmist's ears just needed to be dug out, right? Is that you this morning? Do you talk to God more than you listen? Consider your own prayers in your life, right? Are there more words spoken to God in your life than there is silence to receive from him? When is the last time you sat and really just listened to God? You just sat there and listened. How do you do that? How do you listen to God? The practice of listening is praised continually in Scripture as a characteristic of God's children. I won't read all of these, but you have Proverbs 2, verses 1 and 2. It starts off early in the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, right? There they go. Psalm 40, verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Proverbs 15, 31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dull among the wise. Proverbs 18, 15, intelligent heart requires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. I can keep going on and on and on. Listening is praised as a characteristic of God's children. While those who speak more than they listen are called fools in the book of Proverbs. Listening means that you are not the main center of that conversation. You ever heard the old saying, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason? Right? Listening means that there is a humility found in you. That your own ego is not consuming you. That you are actually taking the time to receive. The antithesis, of, one of the antithesis, if you want to say it that way, of a consumer, right, is an apprentice. You go near to the house of God as a listener, one who wants to learn, to absorb what God may have to speak to you, what correction he may have for you, something that may transform and change you. You have to listen to those things versus just coming to seek out that worship experience and talking and leaving while your ears are clogged. An apprentice is not a consumer because in the apprentice relationship, you are seeking to become like the one you are listening to. 
You're seeking to be shaped by them. You're being trained up. You're being spoken to. There's an assumption that you are in need of something that that person has to offer to you. So it would be very silly for you to be talking more than that person. There's a funny story found in Matthew 16 that Peter kind of fell into this a little bit. He asked his disciples, he says, who do you think I am? And they went through some answers, you know. And then Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, yeah, you got it right. And he gives some good encouraging words. And upon this rock, I build my church and all these kind of great things. And, and right afterwards, Jesus says, great. So now you know who I am. I'm going to be killed in Jerusalem, be delivered over. I will suffer many things. On the third day, I am coming back. And Peter actually gets his master teacher and he goes into a wordy rant about saying, you're not dying, Jesus. And yes, he said, he rebuked Jesus. You can imagine his words going, and what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. He, he, he recognized Peter's rebuke as from Satan himself. He says, you need to get behind me. In other words, did you listen to what I said, Peter? Are your ears open? Or do you think you have something to offer the son of God, the living Christ right now? Your words are not reflective of God's mind, said Jesus, but a man's mind. Hastily spoken words are often me-centered. Rambling on in conversations usually places you at the center. And I wonder how often we ramble on towards God, just merely seeking to get something from him rather than listening to what he has to say to us. He continues this line of thinking, verse 2. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. So he points to the place of where God is as an antidote here. God is in heaven and you are not. That's what he says, right? God is above us. We are below him. God is transcendent. He is all powerful. He is infinite. He is glorious. We are finite. We are created creatures in need of him. So many of you know the first love of my life before I was called to ministry um, was music, right? I, I love music. I still do. I'm trying to find many excuses to go to concerts this year. My wife is telling me that's enough. Um, I'm a bass player. I love music. Still do. So, you know, imagine if, if, you know, a garage band in high school or something, right? You and your buddies are trying to get music going together. And um, you're messing around with a few songs. And then, you know, just join here with me. You know, Paul McCartney walks into the garage. He walks into your jam session. There's one of two things you could do. You could say, oh, hey, Paul, take the piano. Play me some Hey Jude. Oh, that's great. Oh, can you play me the other Beatles songs? Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, can you play this little ditty from yesterday? You know, can, we, can you play, you know, uh, blah, 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 blah. You know, maybe I'm amazed or whatever. Okay. This is great. Thanks, Paul. What a good private concert from Paul McCartney. Like, imagine doing that. You're treating him as something to consume at that point for your own enjoyment. But as a musician trying to learn and one of the master songwriters of all time walks into your garage, an apprentice mindset would say, hey, you're the master at your craft. Can you teach me? Can you share something with give me your wisdom? I want to listen to everything you have to say. So when I write songs, maybe they're going to sound like the Beatles, sound like Paul McCartney, right? Maybe I can sound more like you when I write songs. 
You see the different attitude there? Two very different attitudes. Listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew 6, verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. God is sovereign. He knows the words before you even speak them, says David in the Psalms. He already knows your needs. He still wants you to come to him. It trains your heart to go to him, to share and express those needs, even though he already knows them. But heaping up empty phrases in prayer often is either if you're praying in a group, it's like, how can I make sure the other Christians around me, like, no, I'm super holy. Like, I can really pray well. I'll throw in some King James language, thine and, you know, these and all that. Or just, you know, uh, praying to think maybe I can, uh, if, if I say things enough time or say certain words or, you know, have the best theology in my prayers, maybe then God will hear me. Maybe if I just repeat this over and over, then the, and my prayers get deeper that God's going to actually listen to me. Um, this also doesn't mean that sometimes you may find yourself like, you know, there are seasons when just a long prayer is necessary. Like John chapter 17, a very long prayer from Jesus. It's a high priestly prayer. It's, it's very long. But you know what's fascinating about Jesus' prayer life? The vast majority of his prayers that are written in the Bible, they are like one word, one sentence, or just a handful of sentences. They're very short. The vast majority of them. Yeah, sometimes we catch him praying all night long. We don't know what that looked like when he spent those nights in prayer. But when we have the written prayers of Jesus, they're short. They are brief. Right? When he healed a guy, he put his, his fingers in his ear and he just said, open up. He broke the food and multiplied it. Thanks. He gave thanks for the food. Short, little prayers. Lazarus, come forth. One little prayer. Right? This is, uh, even the famous Lord's Prayer takes a minute to say aloud or less. I think to some degree, you know, those are few words and Jesus taught in this way, right? Let your words be few towards God. I think to some degree it takes more faith to say a shorter prayer than a longer one. Because I wonder if we think of prayer and repetition of the same thing of prayer, like, Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, and he's like, 19, 20, got it, yes, now I heard you, thank you, I was looking for that 20th time, and now he got my attention, right? We don't pray as a consumer to Jesus. He hears something, we have to trust he hears it. Do you believe he hears a simple, forgive me? Do you believe that he forgives you? Because you don't have to keep saying, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. You're forgiven. Do you believe that? Is there faith that says that one little prayer means that your sin is separated as, as far as the east is from the west, and it is gone out of the mind of God. Do you believe that? Let your words be few. Say, oh. If you keep rambling, that's the opportunity for, you know, Satan to kind of come in and tell you, like, you're not really forgiven. You got to really get on your knees before God now. Like, show him how, you know, sorry you are. Like, show him that. Like, that's an opportunity for that little kind of spiritual tat to come in there, right? And, and condemn and to tell you how pitiful you are. And God is like, you just need to say it once. You're forgiven. Get up. Move forward. The cross is enough. We pray as his follower, his apprentice. We don't need to ramble on forever and ever to think that we prayed. There's a practice, an ancient practice of reading scripture that is a great way to, to do this while having a listening ear more than words. 
right? There's a way, because earlier I asked, how do we hear from God? How do we listen to God? Here's a, a great way to do it. This is a practice called Lecto Divino. It's been practiced for centuries in church history. It's really simple. You've probably done it before without even realizing it. You take your Bible on your lap, you open it up, and you read. You know, we have a practice in my house of reading a couple of Psalms a day, one chapter in the New Testament, one chapter in the Old Testament. Um, we read them, and as we're reading, okay, say a phrase. Just you can't shake it when you read it. You just kind of stop there, right? Um, you know, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. His right hand, pleasures forevermore, Psalm 16. You read that, and you're like, wow. And for some reason, you can't move beyond it. If that happens, believe that's probably the spirit. It's like making the words pop off the page. So stop and listen. Just let that verse stay in your minds and say, Lord, speak to me. What do you have for me out of this? And don't keep reading, keep reading, just close your Bible. Stop and listen. And that's the practice of Lecto Divina. It's simple and it's powerful, but it lets the Holy Spirit do way more talking. Martin Luther talked about letting the Holy Spirit preach to you, right? Let him preach to you in those moments. That is listening more than speaking, right? I think silence in our country makes us uncomfortable. We squirm because our attention spans are trained by our clicks on our scrolling on our social media as we just infinitely scroll to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Um, it, it takes more work, I think, to stop to listen to God than to talk a lot to him. Because in your own mind, you'll find the speed of words has a hard time stopping in your own mind, right? Than to actually just say, Lord, like I'm trying to shut that down. I want to hear from you. It's difficult. Sometimes our ears have to be dug out because we're so accustomed to being kind of the center of everything here in our country. I think prayer is one of the most un-American activities in our nation. I really do. Because it forces you to get outside of yourself, to commit yourself into somebody else, and to say, Lord, this is not about me, it's about you. Uh, the whole goal of this is I reject myself as I die to myself every single day and let you, through your spirit, take me and have all of me. That's the act of prayer, the posture of prayer. God is in heaven and you are not. He's in heaven because he created heaven. He's in heaven as God of all, God of the cosmos, God of the universe, God of all, heaven is his place of authority. And he keeps putting our eyes back on the glory and the authority of God, saying, really, when is the last time in your prayer and you worshiped and you remembered that you were actually coming to the God of the universe who created all things, who can say when asked, what is your name? Not I was, not I will be, but I am. I have always been. I am. That is the God you are coming to. Don't you think our ears should be open more than our mouth when we come to him? He continues on. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow is a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. And once again, therefore stand in awe of God. If you want to look at the vow stuff in the Hebrew scriptures, it's in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It's interesting. And I tried to kind of take that 
put it into our modern context where we, you know, do we make vows to God? And I, I think we do. So just bear with me as we work through this. It's all related. What is the goal of a Sunday morning service like this one? Right? I was just talking with Derek before about this. Is it to just hear really good music, you know, or hear the really good sermons and hear my horrible, you know, attempted humor or something as if that's why you're here is, you know, to get jokes said to you? Is it to have a really powerful, worshipful, you know, worship experience, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with those things, and they should happen to some degree, right? I hope that I'm not a dull person just to listen to, right? Hopefully I'm interesting at least to present the word of God to you. Those things aren't necessarily wrong, but we're not here to only receive an emotional high. In our world of American Christianity, we can be in danger of making Sundays only about emotions if we're not paying close attention to ourselves. We can even make it about being entertained. I mean, here I am standing in front of you, and you're kind of far away from me. Even this setup, there's like a distance between you and I, even though we're a church family, you know? Of making our services, you know, there's the danger here of making our services be a, 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 a self-centered consumer experience rather than a God-centered experience. Say it one more time. We can make our services be about a self-centered experience rather than a God-centered experience. Catholic and more liturgical churches like the Anglicans or Lutherans, they're, are they in danger of being lost in a continual routine of doing the same thing every week. But an equal danger in churches like ours is that we can be lost in stirring up emotions more than stirring up a fear of a God that leads to a genuinely transformed life. And this is important. This is not the place where the fullness of our Christian life is lived out. Following Jesus as being his apprentice is a daily hourly life. Being his follower, a Christian is taking on a cross-shaped life empowered by his spirit day in and day out. This is not the totality of the Christian life here. We sing songs to Jesus, which is really good. We say a lot of words to him. We should do that on Sundays. Perhaps in prayer, like we make commitments to him. Even sometimes we sing, I will do this, I will do that. You are kind of making commitments as you're singing that out to God. But saying those things to Jesus without seeking a transformed life, according to the book of Ecclesiastes here, are simply hasty, meaningless words. And so the question really is, are you here this morning to be transformed by him? If you say to Jesus this morning, I want to follow you with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength and your grace, forgive me when I stumble, but just give me the joy of your spirit this morning that I can become more and more like you. If that's your prayer in your heart, the teacher is giving you a word of caution to say, be careful when you pray that prayer. Right? There's an accountability that says, do you really want that? Really? You just said it. Like, do you really want that? Do you know what's, what's required of, a, of the fullness of the Christian life when you say that? Like, do you mean that? Don't be hasty in saying that. Do you mean that? And we can get wrapped up in emotions and say things perhaps out of emotions. And that's, emotions are great. They're a part of this process. I hope that our emotions and our affections are just overfilled with the spirit and joy when we meet and worship him. But those are not the foundation. A transformed life is what the Holy Spirit's work is after. 
hopefully the result of emotional experiences, right? Hopefully the result of those emotional experiences that we may have in worship. There's a parable that kind of goes along with this in Matthew 21, 28, when he says this. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. It's kind of, it's kind of a funny, I think it's a Jesus joke if you ask me. But. So, son, go in the work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he said, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. What he's simply saying is words are one thing, doing is another. That's the simple message of that parable. And I think that's what the Ecclesia, the teacher is pointing us towards here, Right? Actions speak louder than words, as a famous saying goes. Words only have meaning as it's reflected in a transformed life. And of course, God has given us so many promises that says if you're ready, if you're like all in on this, and you, when you say those prayers, like I want to give you all of myself, Jesus, he says, I, my burden is light and I am here. I'm never going to forsake you. I will walk that with you. But if your intention is to be transformed here, then we can be guaranteed that in our church, the Spirit of God is going to show up. If your motivation is to seek a transformed life before him, Jesus is going to say, oh yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Now there's a big ball of Play-Doh I can kind of work and start molding, right? The hard heart may be gone. This is no longer for you. This is no longer about you. It's about being his apprentice and following him, and he can work with that, and he will work with that. As we close here, it says, much dreaming and many words are meaningless, therefore stand in awe of God. All being the antidote. Stand in awe of God. So talking about listening and, and you know, um, uh, too many words are hasty and having fewer words before God, I wanted to have a shorter sermon today. I think I was mildly successful. Um, <laughs> but today's communion Sunday and I want to take time to listen to God this morning in different ways when we take communion today okay so we're going to take some time to walk through communion not seeking uh, this, this is a good every time we take communion this is an, it is an experience of receiving Jesus right and this is good there's many things that happen in communion right but through this experience, let's pray for an actual encounter that leads to your heart receiving a transformation. 